Our gospel reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 22. This will also be the basis for our sermon this morning. Then an oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus. And he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Words are important. Words have meaning. Words have power. When a parent is dealing with their toddler child who is maybe in the middle of a meltdown and throwing a temper tantrum, I know at least when we were in that stage of life, we would often say to our kids, use your words, right? Use your words. Tell us, what do you need? How can we help you? Right now, uh, words are important in 
marriage relationships. When I do premarital counseling with a couple, one of the things that we talk about is communication. The importance of communication with one another. Uh, maybe you have, are familiar with the Five Love Languages, a book written back in the 90s that talks about uh, how we share love with one, one another. Notice that just in the title, Five Love Languages, right? That there's that insinuation that, that words are going to be part of that. And one of the five love languages are words, words, words of affirmation. Words are important for us. And how many times have we dwelt on the words that we've said? Ooh, I wish I could have said that a little differently. <laughs> and we might say things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or, I'm rubber, you're glue. What you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. But is that true? I would say not entirely. Words can hurt. Words have power. When someone says something to us, can we dwell on it? Maybe we're not as thick-skinned, as rubber-like as we'd like to be. Someone uh, gives us a note in school, and that note does not say nice things encouraging things, like our kids are learning about, but it says cutting things that hurt us. Words have power. And I want to talk about the power of words, and, and Jesus helps us to talk and to think about the power of our words in our gospel text for today. As you may know, we're in the season of Epiphany right now. And Epiphany uh, means revealing or uh, appearing, right? Uh, what we've talked about is how we use the word Epiphany in our context today. We might say something like, oh, I've had an Epiphany, right? A light bulb moment, bing! Now I get it, right? And sometimes when Jesus was going through his earthly ministry, there were people, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, the crowds, Pharisees, that, that had bing, an epiphany about who Jesus is. And we see this uh, in the wise men coming to Jesus when he was a little child. They come, they see him, and what do they do? Oh, they worship, right? They give him gifts. They bow down. They, they, they prostrate, right? See, when we have an epiphany, when God shows up, when God's word speaks, we are naturally called to respond. How are we going to respond to, bing, this epiphany, this moment that God has appeared in our lives, in our world. And today, 
in our text, what we see is that Jesus performs yet another miracle. In this case, specifically, it's a healing. And there was a a man who was demon-oppressed, we're told in our text. Feel free to turn to Matthew 12 if you'd like to follow along with me there. And as he was oppressed by this demon, there were two ways that this demonic oppression manifested itself in this man's life. One, he couldn't see, he was blind. And two, he couldn't speak. No words. He was mute. Jesus came to him. And what did he do? He heals him. And the people around have an epiphany. They realize something is happening with Jesus. Something is different. God is showing up here. Now, not everyone fully gets clearly what's happening, but we see, first of all, we see the crowds respond. They ask a question, is this the son of David? They're trying to figure this out. They know something is happening. But there's another group of people who are there, who are witnessing what Jesus is doing. And they are the Pharisees, some of the religious teachers of that day. And the Pharisees are quick to say, no, this is not the son of David. Don't be deceived by what you just saw, they say. Because he does these healings, not by the power of God, but by the power of Beelzebul, Lord of the Flies. by the power of Satan. And to this, Jesus gives a fairly obvious illustration to show how uh, they are, well, quite wrong. He says this, that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. If it's by the power of Satan, by the power of Beelzebul, the power of the prince of demons, that this man is oppressed, was oppressed by demons, was made blind and mute, then why would uh, uh, the same Satan, the same demons, why would they come and then undo the very thing that they had done in the first place? That's a, a kingdom divided against itself. Obviously, that's not going to work well. And that illustration, I think, has been uh, applied in so many different facets of our, of our world, of our lives. We can see this in a sports team, maybe very clearly. If a sports team is, you know, if there's an NFL team and half the team wants so-and-so to be their quarterback, and then the other half of the team wants the other guy to be their quarterback, whoo, that might not bode well for the team. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And then Jesus goes on to to talk after showing how obviously wrong the Pharisees were in saying that he was healing by the power of Satan. He goes on and he talks about a strong man. 
if a strong man is to be taken over, first that strong man has to be bound up. Maybe, maybe today the illustration that Jesus would use is if there's a hostage situation and there are hostages inside the bank and they're held at gunpoint, what's the first thing that has to be done by, by those who are coming to save hostages, by the law enforcement? Well, they, they have to deal with those who are holding the hostages in place, right? They have to bind up the strong man, the thief in that case. And so, Jesus, having come into this world to take back those of us who are being held hostage by Satan, by sin, by demonic oppression, by whatever the case may be, in order for that to, to happen, in order for Jesus to do that, he first comes in and he binds the strong man. He casts out the demons in this case. And then Jesus gets to a third illustration here, talking about blasphemy against the Spirit. And he, he says it this way, Therefore I tell you, verse 31, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. First, we need to understand blasphemy by its, you know, its mere definition, it means like false words or uh, things that are pronounced specifically about God that aren't correct, that aren't in line with what's true about God. And so they're accusing Jesus of blasphemy, and he kind of fires back and says, no, in fact, you're the ones committing blasphemy. You see, the Pharisees, at this point, they, they saw this man, who was oppressed by a demon, he was clearly blind and mute. They couldn't argue with the fact that this man, who was formerly blind and mute, could now see and speak. Everyone saw that. You notice that the Pharisees don't even try to go there. That would be ludicrous. And so what they're trying to do is undermine Jesus's power by saying, oh, it's, it's from Satan. And what Jesus is saying is, this is right in front of your eyes. You've had an epiphany, and there is a response required of you. And you are choosing to respond negatively. You're making up whatever false claims possible in order to deny the epiphany you've received. Christians throughout the ages have read this verse and have been a little concerned. Have I committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Have, have I committed 
the unforgivable sin? Because if we let that play out, we start to think about, all right, well, what is the unforgivable sin? Did I at some point say something wrong? And am I not sitting here helpless because nothing I do can help, uh, can, can, can allow the Lord into my life? That Jesus can't even save me? Is it, is it a lost cause at this point? What's important for us to know is that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is plain and simple, nothing more, nothing less than denying Jesus. That is what the Pharisees were trying to do in that context. They were trying to deny what they were seeing with their eyes. They are denying Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity whom we receive when we hear the word of God preached, when we see the miracles of God in this world, in our lives, who we receive when we receive the sacrament. The Holy Spirit, he keeps coming to us, keeps coming to us, keeps coming to us. The only for unforgivable sin is if we say we won't receive the Spirit. We don't believe that the Spirit is pointing to Jesus. We don't believe in the power of Christ to forgive. It's like, like this, like a, a man trapped in the desert, dying of thirst, and someone comes along with a bottle of water and says, here you go, drink up. And that man, dying of thirst, says, poison! And refuses to drink the water. Refuses to receive the gift of God that's given to us through Christ Jesus. And so when, when Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking bluntly, harshly. He's not speaking to believers, not directly. He's speaking to his opponents, to Pharisees. He's speaking to those who have seen what he can do and who refuse it, refuse to believe it. Refuse to believe what the Holy Spirit is doing through Jesus. So, what we see, what Jesus teaches us, is that words matter. That they're not just mere words, that they're, they're more than words. That when we confess Jesus is Lord, that's from the Spirit. And when we confess, I don't believe in Jesus, that's not from the, the Lord. That's not from the Spirit. Daughter Joy is playing basketball. This, this season, 7th grade basketball, and it's been 
super fun, actually, as a parent to, to watch as she's been part of a basketball. And, and as you know, in a basketball game, tensions can sometimes rise a little bit. Uh, I fielded a phone call from uh, our dear sister in Christ, Liz Bauer, a few days ago. As Liz is the superintendent at West Grand High School, who is playing Summit, uh, West Grand School District, who is and West Grand Middle School is playing Summit Middle School, and in the eighth grade game, not Joy's game, but in the eighth grade game, uh, words were <laughs> said, right, and there is a whole uh, hubbub about what went down. Yesterday, Joy was at a a tournament down in Eagle Valley. And we were watching a, another game, kind of in between games. And during that game, one of the players got teed up, right? And I think, uh, I think what happened is that that player, maybe in a moment of frustration, took the ball and, and spiked it on the ground, and so they got teed up, a technical foul, right? And so uh, when that happened, their coach said, oh my, blah, 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 expletive, expletive, and also got teed up. So there was a double technical on this team. And there were free throws that came with all that and stuff. And after the game, I heard this coach talking to one of the parents, and he said, I wasn't even mad at the ref. But that's what I get for just having a potty mouth, right? And it just kind of naturally flowed out of him these, these words. Recognized, that was wrong. It hurt his team. It gave the other team some free throws. I know for myself personally that I'm up here, I get to, as a pastor, proclaim the word of God. And one of my fears in life <laughs> is that at some point, as I'm supposed to be proclaiming the holy, reverent word of God, that I will slip and something will come out. And why is that a concern for me? Why is that a fear for me? Because I know it's not just a slip. I know that my words reflect something about my feelings, my thoughts, my my heart. Listen to what Jesus says here. Verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words matter. And uh, sometimes our words are Maybe not something to be uh, proud of. Can, can you think of those times when we speak, maybe get a little loose in our language, maybe speak in a moment of frustration, confession time again for me. Sorry, not trying to make the, the pulpit my own personal confessional, but... Uh, I noticed that this morning when 
few things weren't going quite right with the technology. Ooh, things were bubbling up inside of my heart. Lord Jesus, help me to speak your truth, right? It's easy. It's easy maybe when we're in public, when other people are around, uh, when thing, everything is easy peasy going the way that we anticipated, we, we planned for our words to uh, be clean and good and salutary. But boy, when we're tired, when we're frustrated, when we're anxious, when we feel out of control, blah! <laughs> Sometimes we say things that aren't from God. We need to take this seriously because Jesus is serious. Our words, they're not just words. They're more than words. They reflect our inner being. They reflect what we believe. Our Lord Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, of course, spoke words into this world. And even before his earthly ministry, our pre-incarnate Jesus, at the creation of the world, <laughs> was the word. We've talked about this over and over. We know this. When God spoke, when God the Father spoke, he's speaking the word, speaking Jesus, and out of nothing comes something. Then, when, in Jesus' earthly ministry, when Jesus is speaking, things happen. Storms calm down perfectly still. When Jesus speaks, people are healed. Demons are cast out. Jesus' words are pure and holy, and they have power to change things, including us, including our hearts. And this same Jesus, as he's drugged before Caiaphas and the high priests late on that Monday, Thursday, is accused again of blasphemy. Jesus, standing in front of the high priest, is asked by the high priest, is this true? Is it true that you said you destroy the temple and in three days rebuild it? Is it, is it true that you are the Son of Man? And, and Jesus, his response is this. You have said so. <laughs> You'll see me riding on the clouds as I'm seated at the right hand of God the Father. And what does the high priest say at that point? Blasphemy! That's the accusation. He's speaking falsely. That's the accusation against Jesus. And they drag him in the morning over to the governor's palace, and he's standing in front of the governor. And as he's standing there, Pilate is coming to him, saying, what are you going to say for yourself? 
Matthew tells us this. At that point, the word made flesh became mute, silent for us. Doesn't say a single word to defend himself. Instead, he comes into a broken world filled with mute people, becomes mute like those of us, so he can identify with us. And he suffers the death that we deserved by going to the cross silently as a lamb before tears, before the slaughter, going to the cross, dying in our place, so that three days later he could come back from the dead, breathe the Holy Spirit upon his followers, and speak peace into our lives and into this world. That's our Jesus. That is what Almighty God, the Word made flesh, did for you and for me. So that we may confess out of our mouths the truth of God's grace. As we are, are going through this portion of, of the book of Matthew, I, I regularly am asking a couple questions for us. What good news is God saying to you today? I hope it has something to do with Jesus becoming mute so that we can speak holy words. Because words matter. And then second, how are you going to respond? How, how are you going to follow Jesus today? And this is where I'd just like to take a moment to think through the, the ways that we speak here in worship. Lutheran worship typically has built into it kind of this back and forth between pastor and congregation, uh, a speaking did you notice how much you've had to speak today? Didn't just sit here like you were mute. No, you spoke. You spoke truth. You spoke words confessing, speaking about your sin. You spoke words of prayer. Going before God pleading with him. You spoke words confessing, speaking your faith. And it's important that we speak because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There is a connection between our mouths and our, our hearts. And it's not just to be done here in this place. It's also to to go out into our lives Monday through Saturday. We speak when we sing. What are hymns? What are songs? 
confessions of sin, prayer, confessions of faith. We're speaking the truth of God. And you can do that because you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. So what are maybe some ways that as we go from this place, and this is where I'm I'm looking to you all for response, a little bit of dialogue. What are some ways that you can be intentional this week to allow your words to speak by the power of God, the truths of God? Any thoughts? I'm comfortable standing here for a while, so it's all good. Joy, how how could you use your words to speak about God? Like what? I'll, okay, to be kind to people, maybe to stick up for people, right? So uh, loving people, well, what are our children learning about right now? Speaking words of encouragement to others? Knowing that as, as we speak words of encouragement, we're reflecting God's love and grace and forgiveness for us. Good. Thank you, Joy. Anyone else? Kelly? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, so oftentimes God uses uh, brokenness, hardship in our life, maybe illness, we prayed about that earlier, to, to kind of wake us up, shake us a little bit, so that we hear his truths, his grace in a different way. And so it, you're, you're, I'm guessing you're probably not going to call up these people you're thinking of and start reciting the Apostles' Creed to them but maybe just saying something to the effect of, I'm praying to God for you, right? Giving an example. How powerful is that to say, to be able to speak to someone, I'm praying for you? There's power. Yeah, it's good. Thank you for sharing that, Kelly. John. Yeah. So, so sometimes maybe if, if we wear our cross as jewelry or uh, maybe 
Maybe some of you have a, a tattoo of a cross or something to that effect. It might be a conversation starter where we can use our words to speak about the power of Jesus and how he became mute for us <laughs> in going to the cross, right? Very good. John, uh, I'm sorry, Ron. So just, just speaking the words of, of God in our home, right? And it, it, the beautiful thing about the Word of God is, you know, we've got a whole book called Psalms. It's, like, it's, it's a book of prayer and songs, right? So when we don't even know what we should say or how to say it, well, pfft, there it is for us. And, and we can speak the Word of God to each other as we read it. It doesn't have to be going to the street corner with a megaphone in front of everyone to get their attention and making a big hubbub about it. it could just be speaking to your wife or to your children or to your husband or to your brother or whoever about God. And there's power in that. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Ron. Cool. Last Naomi, I see your hand. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good. So when things don't go as planned, like she was, Naomi's hoping that her little boy would have had surgery this past week and it didn't work out that way for a multitude of reasons. And yet, being able to speak about the glories of God, proclaim his majesty, speak about his forgiveness in that, that might be more powerful <laughs> than, when, than speaking about Jesus when everything's all good, when the bank account is full, when uh, you've got new cars and, whatnot, and everyone's healthy, right? Like, yeah, so very good, very good. So as we can see, like, we have these opportunities to speak about Jesus. My prayer for us as a congregation is that we go from this place of worship where we spoke with one another in this context about Jesus and we can do so outside of this place, outside of these four walls, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. Lord Jesus, Send your Holy Spirit to us. 
Soften our hearts to receive your grace, not to resist it. And help us to speak your truths, your love, your forgiveness, and your salvation. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.